Hello, 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 and welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement, and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. Um, But until we get there, I am your host, Josh, uh, and welcome to the show. I hope that uh, you enjoy it. If this is your first time stopping by, just know that, um, you know, I do, I have been doing a lot of ranting style uh, shows lately, as in, in, in comparison to like a planned out educational uh, discussion, but I think that's because a a lot of times I find in my own personal life that when I, like, just have a free-flowing conversation with people, uh, it's usually easier for me to form, like, not an argument, but kind of like a coherent thought. Um, I don't know why. Uh, Something about, like, I don't know, planning and then having to stick to, like, some kind of a script or some kind of an outline gives me some kind of anxiety. Uh, And I feel like I'm limiting myself to what I can discuss. Um, But then I have also found that in some of my ranting type episodes, I start the episode over here and I wind up way the fuck over here. Those points don't connect. I'm sorry. I have fucking autism and I'm driving and I'm usually like, you know, recording at nine o'clock in the morning. So that's my bad. Um... I'm working on it, and hopefully this episode will be some kind of an amalgamation of the two, uh, so that it seems a little less, uh, just all over the place. Um, if this is your second time or whatever, you know, this is you coming back, uh, that's surprising, and I really appreciate it. Um, so hopefully we can get some more of you folks around who wanna stick around, reach out to myself, um discuss some things, you know, I've, I've been wanting to get more involved in, like, a little bit of, uh, community building, uh, through my podcast, kind of, like, doing a little bit more educational stuff, and that's why I've been kind of, like, waiting until people ask me to do certain topics, but no one's really reached out to me, so I, um, I'm probably, you know, just gonna start choosing, what I want to talk about and just kind of trying my best to do like some kind of a structured discussion. So we're going to start with that today and I'm going to try my best to get really good at this practice of making sure that I cover and discuss exactly what we need to cover and discuss. So without further ado, that was the intro. I appreciate you sticking through it. Um, Today we're going to try to discuss out um, the arguments against revolution and why um, revolution is not theoretically sound and why especially violent revolution, according to some, is not violently or is not theoretically sound. Um, Now, I am of the opinion that these are incorrect analyses. Um, I am of the opinion that theoretically we have to be careful here. You know third parties always watching. Theoretically, it would be more practical and more pragmatic and more logical to participate in revolutionary actions rather than trying to reform 
or revise an oppressive system. Now, there are a lot of people who fall in different camps on this question of revolution. Of course, you have your Democrats and Republicans, your conservatives and your liberals, who believe wholeheartedly that whether it's the United States, England, you know, Australia, one or another of these capitalist, liberal, quote-unquote, democracies, they are of the belief that this is the government system through iron and, and you know, steel and, and all through, you know, the trials and tribulations of history. They believe that the type of government that we have today is endemic of a truly democratic free society. Now, a lot of that is based off of the liberal ideals which are proposed in documents such as the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution of the United States of America. These ideas that if written in law because of the very uh, um, inseparable rights that quote-unquote man has, if written in law and that law placed under a government of quote fair and equal peers, then this is enough to truly ensure a free and democratic society. You also have people who believe that the system that we live in does not function properly. Whether for one reason or another, they believe that things need to change. Whether that is the racist policing that exists, the economic exploitation that exists, the natural and resource exploitation, or I should say nature, um, exploitation of nature, of resources, um, whether that is... I don't know. You know, we live in a society wherein a majority of our time is not ours. We have very little control over our lives other than picking options that are supposedly in front of everyone, which we know are not the same options for everyone. Um, And I think that all of this combined kind of boils down into something that a lot of people could be against, you know? But the difference becomes what our ideas of changing that are. So like I said, you have the liberals and the conservatives who more often than not believe that the very system itself is foundationally you know, correct. It is individuals or parts of that system that have become quote-unquote crony or evil or bad. We moralize these things. The liberals and the conservatives moralize these things. Then you have people who believe that, no, there is actually something wrong with the system. But who choose to try to change that system from within that system. For example, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Rashida Tlaib. Um, You have a history of, you know, for example, after the Civil War, you have many black governors, many black, uh, you know, legal officials, many black deputies and folks 
who are put in power in the South after the Civil War, during the Reconstruction Era. But the issue is, as we see today with folks like Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, it is not the identity of a person that dictates their politics and decisions. That is up to the person, and ultimately, that person makes decisions based off of their social environment. A great quote, social being determines social consciousness. Social being being more your environment, your existence. Where do you live in in the framework of the society we exist in? Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you white? Are you black? Are you gay? Are you straight? These things, in the context of a system that is oppressive like ours, do change the reality for people. For example, if you live in New York City and you are white, you are far less likely to deal with stop and seizure or stop and searches, uh, illegal stop and frisk uh, uh, searches. You are far less le- uh, likely, I believe, sixty percent less likely to have to endure something like that than a person of color. <coughs> if you live anywhere, really and you are a self-identified or, you know, outwardly appearing woman, because unfortunately we do live in a society where we do frame things in such a binary, and therefore, off of appearances, we decide for another person what that gender is that they, they fit into. So if you fit into the camp that a random stranger would consider a woman you are far more likely to have to endure in your lifetime probably some form of sexual assault than a man. That is not to say that men do not get sexually assaulted. And that is a confusion with this discussion. The nuance there being, because we live in a patriarchal society, women are more likely than men to be raped. That does not mean that men do not get raped. The situation is that there is a existing and dominant group within our society, that being those who appear and exist within the camp of men, who are more likely to be in a power dynamic situation, the dominant force due to the structure of our socio-political and economic society. We live in a heteropatriarchal society. We know this. But then there are people who say, okay, so how we will fix that is we will make only women, only women police officers. And now that might sound like a great idea, and that's probably going to keep a lot of women safe. But the issue becomes women cops still kill people. Women cops still abuse their power. Women cops have been arrested for raping people while they were under their jurisdiction by being convicted. Or or not convicted, um, uh, detained. It is not so simple as to switch one group out for the other without looking at the basis of the system and the systematic oppression that police and the judicial system that exists under capitalism because of colonialism and how that affects people. 
Again, social being determines social consciousness. If you are a police officer, if you are a detective, if you are some form of this occupying army, this militant armed force that the state has sanctioned, aka the police, then you have a certain social consciousness. You have a certain belief in the police system, in the prison system, in the judicial system that we know is faulted, we know is foundationally incorrect, and we know is based off of oppression, and you still choose to support it. That is a decision that someone is making, but that decision is being made due to an existing material condition. For example, most people have only lived in a world where police are as bad as they are, prisons are as overpopulated and as common as they are, and police brutality, abuse of power, and the oppression that we feel under the rule of the bourgeoisie is normal. So people think, okay, that obviously we can't change. We obviously can't change the rule of the bourgeoisie over the proletariat, the ruling class over the working class. We obviously can't change that. So let's try to change who the ruling class is. Well, I would have you know that this is a tried and true theory of failure. If you are to look at the thousands of years of human history, you will see this exact practice happening all over the world. You had oppressive governments who were wholeheartedly executed and eradicated and then replaced by groups of people who were of the oppressed majority within that society, continuing the very uh, uh, oppressive and destructive uh, practices upon now the rest of the majority, as they have now become the minority. As Marx says, and I'm paraphrasing here because I'm terrible at quotes, the working class cannot simply lay hands of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own benefit, I think it finishes on. And that is the camp that a majority of the folks who believe in some form or another of revision or reforming of the capitalist class system that we live in, that is a majority of where they fall into camp where they don't agree with that. You know, the theory that if we were to just put women in charge of all the police all over the the United States, that would be different. But again, that fits into the camp that you can't just how do I how do I want to put this to make it a little bit more if okay some some crazy you know let's make up an abstract thing here there's you know a nail gun that won't stop shooting nails at people like something like the wiring's wrong or something's malfunctioning and shortening out or there's a power surge and the nails won't stop shooting out. And they keep killing people. And then, you know, someone picks it up and they try to hold it. And then everybody says, look, they're killing all these people. What reform is, is someone saying, hey, what if I held the gun and pointed it at the people? Would that be better? And continues to shoot the nail gun at people and kill them. Let's even imagine that this is a black trans woman holding this gun. 
that is shooting and killing people. We would not then say, oh, you know, this person has fixed the problem. Because the gun is still shooting and killing people. This, the, the, the correct response would be either A, put down the gun, get rid of it, or at the very least, fucking unplug it. Or take the battery out, you know? Take the power out from the thing that is causing the problems. Why do police officers have a gun on their hip? Police officer's job is not to kill anybody. Why do they have a gun on their hip? If a police officer's job is actually to protect and serve, then that's what they would need to do in order to prove that they deserve the power within society that they have. Look at what happens when a police officer drives by or walks by or, God forbid, think about how you feel when you get pulled over. That's power. That's power. That is force. That is, that's honestly violence because it's trauma. It's traumatizing every time you have to experience a police officer, especially if you have, quote, done something wrong. So you have to take the power from the police. One solution could be, and this is something that someone who believes in reform might say, well, how about if we only allowed police officers to be in power by vote? And what if we paid police officers minimum wage? And what if we made police officers revocable at any point in time by a majority vote of the community that they serve in, wherein then that person is no longer ever be, you know, ever able to become a police officer again? Some might say, these these sound like great solutions. These sound like great solutions. But the problem becomes, it's still the police unions and still the police officers within the overall oppressive class system wherein they have been made an occupying army to ensure and uphold that the people in power, so the wealthy or the government officials, the bourgeoisie, they, police officers, have been created and been given the power that they've been given to uphold that system. The difficulty is that system still exists. So a few things could happen. A, they could instill that and everybody quits being police officers and wow, it all goes really well and we just have good police officers, right? That's one That's one possibility. The second possibility is none of that happens because nothing that we the people ever demand of our government or of our government systems happens the way that the people want it or need it to. The third reason is some kind of in the middle thing where we think it's supposed to be happening. Supposedly laws have been passed and they're supposed to be upheld, but the police just don't follow it. Kind of like that whole law about murder that they keep not following. And this is the issue with reform. This is the issue with revision. It is not putting out the base of the fire. 
we can see in our government, and I don't care what house of government, what part of government, I don't care what person you're talking about, in the House, in Congress, in the Senate, in the Oval Office, in the Supreme Court, we see corruption. We see oppression. And we see a state of powerlessness for the masses where you can have last year where millions of people were out on the street demanding, demanding an end to police violence. Some going as far as to say, abolish the police. Get rid of them. We don't need them. And great articles came out the time showing that we actually don't need them. New York Times, New York Times went so far as to publish an article talking about what police officers actually do with their time while they are on the clock. You should read that article. I forget the title of the article, but I believe that it cites that less than 80% or excuse me, Less than 20% of domestic abuse cases are solved or even investigated past a point of actual interaction with the people, like going to the call, across the 10 largest cities in the United States. Something like that. I think it's 8 or 10. You have rape kits. And the New York Police Department, dating so far back as the 70s, that have never been tested. And these are the people we want to keep in charge. These are the people that we want to reform. The New York Police Department, NYPD, has a $3 billion budget, I'm pretty sure it is. And they are larger than some actual country's armies. This is an occupying military force. This is a special armed militia that the state has chosen is good enough, even though they continuously prove that they cannot, will not, and do not want to do their job properly. The state has decided it's good enough. It's good enough. We're going to give them a few billion dollars every single year. The Biden administration is going to almost, you know, I think it's the largest military budget known to to this point in the United States. The Biden administration has passed. Uh, And don't get it wrong. The the same way that we abuse black, brown, indigenous uh, women, two spirits, and non-binary and non-conforming folks and trans folks here in the U.S. by our police... We're doing that a hundredfold across the country. Because our military is the occupying police force of the globe. The United States military has chosen itself to be the occupying and policing force within the world sphere. Now this is not by any decision of the wide you know, array of people. This is not a decision made by the masses across the world. This is a decision that has been made 
by the United States, by force, by force. If you look at the history of international war, you see whether it's England, France, Italy, Portugal, the Netherlands, all of these colonial powers, such as the United States, and imperialist powers like Russia, Germany, Turkey, deciding for themselves what it is that the people need. This is oppression. This is also reform. Because there was a time where there, it, was, it was very blatant that the people had no vote, had no say. We had absolutism. We had feudalism. Where people were not given any rights. Any human dignity. Oh, you didn't want to follow what the king said? Cool, we'll shoot you. We'll, we'll fucking cut your head off in the, you know, the public square. Guess what we do now? Throw you in jail for the rest of your life so you can't see your family. Take away, take away your rights so you can't vote. Make it so that you have absolutely no power whatsoever. Make you civilly dead. We kill your existence, but let you keep existing. That's a whole nother layer of fucked up. And we got people all across the world that think in prisons are reforming people. You're stupid. You're a bunch of fools. You've been convinced that the system that oppresses you is the system that you should want. That's what reform is. That's what revision is. It's a belief that, at the very least, it is not the system. It is the people who are taking part in the system. We'll say it's not, a, it's, not about, it's not about class. It's about race. Well, how does race get used within a class society? Race is one of, in the United States, the most principal contradictions and the most immediate things that needs to be solved. Racism. But racism cannot and would not exist in the form that it does if we didn't also exist under the constant oppression of a ruling class. If the police weren't given a certain power and a gun on their hip, you may or may not, and this is the issue, is we have to critique the system we live in, not a system that could exist because then we're just playing with idealism and it's abstract and it's useless. If police in the system right now didn't have a gun on their hip, they might not kill as many black people with guns, but they would still be as equally racist and as equally problematic due to the very nature of their existence. They are given complete and utter rule over people within a given community, and then they are not held to any account for their decisions and their actions. Now, we have black police officers today. We have black women police officers today, and now... I wouldn't be surprised if we only have a very few, but I would think, due to just solely numbers, there might be a chance that there's even a black trans woman that is a police officer. Now, she would probably be the best police officer, right? Like, that black trans woman would probably be as close to a quote-unquote good police officer as you could get but 
ultimately the job that police exist to do is not good. If we want to play morality, let us play morality. Killing people is not good. Throwing people in prison so that they can spend the rest of their lives in a cell, losing their entire connection to their humanity, is not good. Putting a badge on your chest and thinking for some reason now you have power over other people is not good. It leads to bad and dangerous decision making. So although a black trans woman as a police officer would be as close to a good police officer as you could get, there is no such thing as a good police officer. That's like saying if we had, well, I'm not going to go that far because not for nothing, there's really no need for a parallel because it's all right there. You have a state-sanctioned occupying army who is allowed to kill at their discretion get away with it, and then throw the people usually who were there when they killed someone in prison. That seems like a terrible system. Seems like a really bad one. And it seems like more than just something that putting different police officers, different prison guards, different wardens, different uh, politicians in charge. It seems like we got to stop doing that. Again, Take the power out. Unplug the cord. But the difference is understanding how to take away that power. How to take the power out from underneath this oppressive system. These oppressive and and, uh, dangerous people. So, obviously, we have folks who want to believe in voting. We have folks who want to believe in nonviolent revolution. We have folks who want to believe in a million different ideas of how theoretically changing this system would happen or work, like succeed, not just in its face, but actually change the problem, actually end the issue, actually put out the fire, stop the problem, like actually, not just in words. Um, and, And there's kind of a disconnect there. Because the issue now becomes, we're not even discussing usually, because, you know, oftentimes a lot of people find it difficult without having dove into much study about these ideas. Um, People find it very difficult to exist outside of a world uh, or a reality that they know. Um, For example, imagining a world without capitalism is less you know, it's, it's far harder, far more difficult to imagine the end of capitalism than like a zombie apocalypse. Look at all the shows that we have about a zombie apocalypse. Look at all the shows that we have about a nuclear apocalypse, which side note, really quick side note, uh, Putin and Biden had a meeting in Geneva after the G7 convention where they both agreed that a nuclear war would not benefit anyone, and therefore they, they couldn't support the idea of a, of a nuclear war. So, thank fucking God are we right. Like, like, two of the largest superpowers with two of the largest arsenals of nuclear weaponry have officially said that, no, in fact, um, we really actually don't think that would be a good idea. 
But God fucking forbid we ever had a show about, I don't know, socialism or what a socialist reality could look like because, you know, we don't want people to believe that that's actually a possibility. Because if people believe that's a possibility, they're going to start looking about, they're going to start looking at the shit that we have um, in our world today, you know, mass starvation, mass homelessness, uh, all the wars and the exploitation that exist all across the world. Like, we wouldn't be able to then look at that and go, yeah, this is a reality I can keep supporting. We would question it. We would want this to change. We would do things to make it change and recognize that it's actually the system, not the individuals within the system. Because if it was the individuals within the system, 250 years of different people being in charge, you would think that at one point or another, things would have dramatically changed. But no, they can't because it is not the individuals. If we blame the individuals, we miss the point. And when we miss the point, we cause ourselves a lot more problems than we want um, and we need at this point. You know, we cannot be confused any longer about what the goal of change has to be and how that change will come about. Now, I don't necessarily feel too comfortable going into depths about why violent revolution is theoretically more sound than a strategy of nonviolent or reform-based um, at this point. Uh, but I will say that ultimately, at the end of the day, the only theory that believes that it has to be the whole system that has to be broken down, completely, completely destroyed, and rebuilt by the people themselves who have been oppressed, who have been suffering, is the theories of Marxists who believe, and I mean true Marxists, not just Marxist in word, who believe in the theories of violent revolution, who believe in the theories of proletariat and socialist revolutions through violent action. Uh, this is, you know, theories that have upheld true in practice, for example, in Vietnam, uh, in North Korea, in, uh, you know, obviously the USSR, um, and, and many other places across the world where violent revolution has, Cuba has been used, and it has succeeded. There's a lot of places where violent revolution has been used, and it has not succeeded. Two things with that. First and foremost, that Marx quote, you can't just lay, you know, hand of the ready-made state machinery. You can't just start doing the same thing your oppressors were doing. That's not going to win you anything. And secondly, the ideology of a revolution has to be wholeheartedly connected. You have to have a unity, not just in thought, but in action. And you have to be, you know, ready to do more than just, quote, you know, end capitalism. Because ending capitalism, what do you do then? You're going to do better capitalism? Because that's what a lot of people's theories were. Ultra-imperialism was a theory of Karl Kautsky, the, you know, the dominant Marxist in the early World War I times. And this is kind of like the difficulty is like, 
You can't just be united against capitalism and imperialism. You have to be united for socialism and internationalism. Um, that it, it, at the very basis, that's the only thing that can succeed. Um, and that is done through, you know, theoretically, violent revolutions across the world, which all end up fighting for true international proletarianism, um, which is the belief in the, you know, international working class and the international working people being the individuals who should be in charge of the world, who should be in charge of their own resources, who should be in charge of their own lives and should be able to live those lives in peace, relatively healthy, with proper housing, with proper, you know, uh, I guess you would say amenities such as, I don't know, food, health care, uh, livable wage, uh, all of these kinds of things which capitalism does not have and wouldn't have because it goes against its logic. It loses out on a lot of money by doing that. So instead, it pays its workers like shit. It makes health care a, you know, con- a consumable good that we have to purchase. Um it takes away the opportunities at proper housing through many different means, uh, creates and sows division through racism and sexism. So you and I can't ever come together and start doing anything about that or, you know, start having these conversations. But these motherfuckers fucked up and created an entire world where no one would ever want to live in it. So now they have created the proletariat, which will take them down. As Marx said, uh, the capitalists have dug their own grave diggers, and I believe that unless we are digging graves, we will not see the world that we need to to see. And there are a lot of people who would take, you know, offense to that. But that is a Marxist and a materialist analysis, which does not ignore clear reality. If you are still listening, thank you very much. I appreciate you so, so much. There's a lady standing in the drive-thru at my job, and I have 10 minutes until I open, and she is fucking staring at me, so this is kind of uncomfortable. But I appreciate you for listening. I hope that you learned anything from this, and I hope I did a better job of staying on track. Uh, I also hope that the conversation was one that you could enjoy um, and that you could you know, kind of follow along with. And see maybe why the theories of violent revolution, in comparison to a capitalist, you know, dystopia, whereby a majority of the black, brown, and indigenous people of color, women, two-spirits, transgender, non-binary, and non-conforming folks, impoverished folks, folks in quote-unquote third world countries, etc., all face extreme violence on a day-to-day basis by the very type of existence that they have to live. And now turning that on its head and taking the power and the resources and the money and the food and the clothes and the housing and the healthcare, all from the hands of the people who are withholding it, that doesn't seem so wrong now, does it? And I think we live in a bourgeois society. They're going to tell us that this shit is wrong. They're going to tell us that violence is bad. And then they go across the world and murder half of the world's population through disease, through violence, through warfare, through sanctions, through judiciary bullshit, locking people up across the world who don't belong in our country, within a country that isn't oppressive and dominating power. Um, We have to take it down and we have to take it down for good.
If you would like to, you can reach out to me on my social media. I have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can DM me there or give me a follow if you enjoy any of my stuff. Uh, you can also reach out to me at indefensiveliberation, no caps or spaces, at gmail.com. And you can also find my blog um, and my website at for liberation, no caps, no spaces, dot wix site. That's W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website. Thank you so much for listening, folks. I really do appreciate it. And I hope I was able to do a better show this time. Um, soon, I am hoping to get onto a more consistent schedule where I can start recording from home again. Um, but until then, I hope that you can deal with the ranty type uh, podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Stay, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, stay revolutionary, and uh, yeah, have a good one.